Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Had a great interview today with Eli Becker, a good friend of mine, one of the best college basketball sources around, the founder of Heat Check CBB, and uh, one of the more knowledgeable sources for Mountain West information that there is. There are few people in the college basketball world that I respect more. I mean, this dude, he just, he hustles and Whatever he says, it's worth listening to. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this. He recently published his way too early projections for the 2022-2023 Mountain West basketball season. He has San Diego State at the top, unsurprisingly. But Eli is still very confident in CSU. One, because of the guys that they were able to bring in via the transfer portal, but also via the coaching. And, you know, that's a big thing that I've been trying to preach as well. The infrastructure is still in place. But I was able to pick his brain on CSU, how much losing Roddy impacts CSU, you know, how drastically it changes their ceiling. Uh, we talked about the rest of the Mountain West, Wyoming, you know, why he thinks CSU might actually finish ahead of them, despite the fact that they return Maldonado and EK. Why exactly San Diego State is going to be so good. I mean, they're a team that finished second in defensive efficiency. They're going to be a much better offensive team, though. Anyways, I guess I could just get to the interview instead of telling you uh, everything that's in it. Real quick, hockey fans, the final chase for the Stanley Cup is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Stanley Cup final, has a can't-miss offer for the most exciting series in sports. New customers can bet $5 on either team to win, get $100 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. If you are looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the final, do so with the DraftKings Same Game Parlay. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, total shots, boom, you got a chance at an even bigger payout. What's awesome is DraftKings is safe, they're secure, they're reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code DNVR. New customers bet just $5 on either NHL team to win their game, get $100 in free bets, no matter what. That promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Stanley Cup Final. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, joining me on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, my good buddy, Eli Betker, founder of Heat Check CBB. It's been too long, man. How you doing? We talked a little bit before we started recording here, but and I know it's been a little bit a little bit dreary out there lately. 
It, it has been. I'm still waiting for the summer. I know a lot of people on the timeline are complaining about triple digits and I could use a day or two of that to get out of the fifties, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been fine for us pale guys. I know we stick <laughs> out in the sun for a little bit. We look like a tomato before we know it. So I can't complain too much, but, uh, it's always a pleasure to hop on and chat with you. We, we never do it enough. It's always a great time. So I'm happy to be on again. Well, it's just, it's one of those where, I mean, I'd have you on every week, but you're doing so many things. Like I feel bad even bothering you to be honest, just cause I'm like, I don't, I know he's got a million things he's working on in the back end. You're editing, you're you know, pulling strings. You're, it's impressive to see, you know, the, the rise that you've made these last couple of years. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's probably because I have trouble saying no to too many things. So when people reach <laughs> like my out, podcast, like, Oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's every time it's like, well, that sounds awesome. Like, why not? Why not try to get better at this and that? So it's fun. I think the, the hard part now is trying to strike the the quote-unquote work-life balance a little bit so that's what is that can you do that is that possible i don't know man like when a lot of these games are on saturdays and sundays now mountain west is playing seven days a week and it's it's crazy but it's also something that wouldn't trade to to do anything else so you, you can only complain so much no definitely and i i have the same perspective obviously very fortunate we're people that genuinely love college sports. And I think that's probably what makes us good at what we do. I, I just, it, it is such a grind. Like, I, I don't think that you could do it and do it well if you didn't have a passion, at least for, you know, any type of, you know, long period of time, at least. But yeah, the Mountain West, obviously, that's, that's why I want to talk to you. You follow it more than just about anybody on a national level, which has always been something that I've appreciated about you. It's kind of how we developed a friendship. God, like six, seven years at this point between all the the Twitter interaction. But you uh, you recently published your way too early projections for the Mountain West basketball season. Um, I think CSU fans probably pleasantly surprised to see you still have the Rams at two, just given you know the loss of David Roddy. Before we talk about CSU and Roddy specifically, I'm curious, what does your gut say about the league as a whole? Just because. You know, coming off of a season where you have four teams that qualified for the NCAA tournament, do you feel like the league is going to be better? Do you feel like it's going to be worse? It, it feels kind of top heavy to me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it's more like a 2017, 2018 version where you have a Nevada and they're pretty much a tier above the rest of the class. And I don't think it is to say that the rest of the Mountain West is particularly weak because I think it. I think it's deep. I just don't think it's quite at large candidate type deep this, this upcoming season. I think getting four teams in this, this past season was a pretty big accomplishment, but of course the topic so often with this conference, the last half decade or so has been March Madness success or lack thereof. And so that's, that's clearly the challenge, but I think. How much does that matter by the way, before, Uh before you go into San Diego state, like how much does that, that perception, does it follow the Mountain West? Do you think the committee, if, you know, it's, it's coming down to two teams, one of them's a Mountain West team, one of them's, you know, from wherever, do you think the committee's factoring that in? Well, you know, the Mountain West, they've kind of shat the bed here, you know, a half decade straight. I, I don't think it factors into the selection process. I still firmly believe that. And I think. A I would lot hope of, not. Yeah. 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 I mean, you would, you'd at least hope not, but I think the Mountain West hasn't had a whole lot of March Madness success even before this past season. And we're pretty lucky, I would say, to have four teams in and comfortably seated. Uh, most of these teams are given pretty decent seats. I mean, three of the four teams, Wyoming, the only exclusion, 
were the higher seeded team in their first round matchup. So I thought overall the team benefited from the selection process overall, but you, you, I mean, you have to win some games. I think just looking at a lot of the stats that I've done um, just research wise for this conference and teams that are seated between the say five and 11 range of the NCAA tournament and looking at each conference's win loss percentage and Mountain West is, is right near the bottom. And it's, it's unfortunate because there is such a, such a quality mix of high level transfers that are in this conference, top 100 recruits, excellent coaching. There's always been phenomenal coaches and the fan base in this conference have been great. And it's so hard to win on the road uh, in this league. And that's maybe that's the reason why some of these teams aren't, aren't able to have that level of success because they're just, they're being up on each other. And maybe that's cliche to say, but I think overall, just to answer your question, and I don't think, what you do in the NCAA tournament impacts what the following season selection process looks like, but it, it is a challenge as far as having national publicity, having more people talk about your conference, have more top level recruits, consider your teams uh, on the recruiting pass. I mean, everyone knows who St. Peter's is now. Everyone knows who Oral Roberts is now. And the reason why is because they won some games in March. And unfortunately for this conference, there's really hasn't been sustained success the last decade or so. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, obviously, we're Mountain West guys. We love the Mountain West. We want to see it succeed. But at some point, you do have to win the games that matter. And I mean, the you know, you have the same conversation with the the bowl games and in college football. And I know, you know, there's a whole debate about whether those even matter anymore. But the Mountain West hasn't been particularly impressive in, in bowl games the last decade either. And it's, you know, at some point it's just like that, that reputation, it does follow you at least to an extent. Um, the one thing I do like to throw out though, is we were robbed of 2020 getting San Diego state and, and Utah state led by Sam Merrill, who I think that team was just, they were so much fun. And you can't convince me that between those two teams, they wouldn't have at least won one game in the, in the tournament, but Let's uh, let's talk about San Diego State this year just a little bit because, I mean, with Bradley coming back and Seiko coming back and what they've added in the transfer portal, you wrote you could see them being a top fifteen team. What what's going to make San Diego State more different or uh, more dangerous this year? Is it just the the offensive abilities? Yeah, I think one of the things that limited SDSU's ceiling last season was just the overall lack of offensive flow within this team. And I, I had talked about this a few times during the season. The team was kind of reminiscent of the latter years that Steve Fisher was there, where you had an elite of the elite defense and SCSU finished second nationally last year in defensive efficiency. So that wasn't a problem. But outside of Matt Bradley, there just wasn't a whole lot of shot creation on this team and guys that you could go to in the clutch. And, Trey Pulliam was a, was a great addition for this program, but I think he didn't quite evolve on the offensive end probably the way the Aztecs would have hoped. Uh, he had his moments and he had some big shots, but it wasn't necessarily there. And the front court overall is kind of more of a multi-positional defensive, you know, virtuoso type guys, not necessarily guys who are going to be able to create with the basketball. And that's exactly what teams like CSU and Wyoming were really good at. I and mean, you could put the ball in EK or Maldonado's hands, or you could put the ball in Riley or Stevens' hands. Uh, they were able to succeed in that. And so there's so many games where you reach the under 12 timeout and Matt Bradley has as many points as the rest of his team. And that it's just not, it isn't a sustainable way to succeed over the course of a season. And 
Um, it's good enough to be top 25 and, and possibly win a game in the NCAA tournament when your team is that good defensively. But the reason I, I feel that this year's team has a lot more upside is because of the, the transfer portal additions and the one uh, that I'm especially high on, which isn't too too big, too big of a surprise given uh, my location out here in Seattle, but uh, Seattle U transfer Darion Trammell. And I got to see him, I got to see Seattle U pretty much as much as any team in all of college basketball this past season. They're really fascinating to watch. And I think he is just the prototypical fit for SCSU and what they've succeeded at in the past. And they've had, when they've had a, player who can create and distribute from the point guard position like Malachi Flynn, like Devin Watson, those types of players, they've, they've, that's when they've been at their best. And, and Malachi Flynn was their uh, star point guard when, as you mentioned, they had that 2022 season or 2020 season where probably would have been a two seed, if not a one seed. Um, I don't think Tremel is an all American candidate like, like Flynn was, but I do think he brings a lot of the similar skill sets as a guy who can, score at all three levels and he's a really adept passer and between him and and Lamont Butler those are two guys who are top 30 steel uh creators in the entire country so that's a, it's a it's a great backcourt they also added Micah Parrish who's another all league defender from Oakland in the Horizon League and he was able to put up um, double digit points per game so i think there's a little bit more uh threats as far as the offense is concerned and then you also have uh, Jaden Ledee uh, from TCU, who's coming off a of redshirt year, and SUSU fans are super excited about him and what he can do. And I don't think he's necessarily going to start uh, with Mensa back, but he should uh, be able to elevate this offense quite a bit. So I think that they'll probably be a little bit closer to a top 50, top 70 uh, national offensive team. And just based off that and still having the defensive chops, I think this is kind of ultimately what makes the Aztecs such a, such a promising team next season. If anything were to hold them back, what do you think that would be? It's a, it's a good question. I think uh, when I mean, whenever you have guys who are transferring up, I think that is kind of a question. Uh, SCSU has been very successful with that in the past, but I think so much of it comes down to taking some of the offensive pressure off Matt Bradley. And so I think for some of these returning guys like uh, Chad Baker Mazzara, who clearly has a lot of upside as kind of a six, seven versatile guy who can hit from the perimeter, seeing him on a more of a consistent level. Uh, Keisha Johnson is another kind of three, four, who's kind of this, you know, bulky physical guy. I think it comes down to a lot of those returning players being able to step up and take a little bit more of a, an offensive lead because we know they can defend so well. Um, even, even Nathan Mensa, who's back yet again, it feels like he's been in the league forever and been just dominant at it. Uh, but I still think even he could take a, a bit of a further role as just some guy where we've seen it with so many of the elite teams in college basketball, where if you do have a play breaking down, you can just dump it into your big man with five seconds left on the shot clock. And he can just do a quick post move and get you a high percentage. Look, I'm not saying Mensa hasn't done that, but if you can do that on a consistent basis and bail out SSU instead of having Bradley ISO or Tremel ISO, then I think this team's in a lot better shape. So I, I'd look for some of those returning guys to kind of step up a little bit offensively and, and have more creativity. 
Breckenridge Brewery, the hometown craft beer of your Colorado avalanche, is celebrating this historic winning season with people who have supported this community through such a challenging year by gifting Avs tickets to a pair of community stars each home game during the playoffs, even the Stanley Cup Finals. We invite you to nominate a stellar community member and an Avs fan who should get the chance to celebrate at a Stanley Cup game. Each game in this series, they are going to hook up a fan and a friend with tickets, gear to match, and of course, the drink of the season, Avalanche Ale. Breckenridge has been doing this throughout the playoffs. It's really cool. They support this community. I mean, they are donating a portion of all Avalanche sales uh, to the community fund Boulder County to help benefit Marshall Fire victims. Visit breckbrew.com to nominate a community star and send them to an Avs playoff game. Check out the Breck Beer locator to find the closest liquor store, grocery store, you name it near you. You can always make an event better with some ice cold Breck brews. All right, we're going to get back to that interview with Eli momentarily, but real quick, got to give you my DraftKings pick of the week. DraftKings pick of the week. I'm going with the Stanley Cup series prop, and I'm going with the series total games. I'm saying the Colorado Avalanche win this in six games. You can get that at plus 225. Look, I I would love to say the Avs are going to sweep them, but I think the experience that Tampa Bay brings to the table, you just, you don't mess around with that. Also, you see the fact that they've been able to come back repeatedly throughout the playoffs. They've got, you know, one of the best goaltenders on the planet. I I feel so confident in the Avs. I mean, to an extent that it actually like kind of worries me as an Avs fan, but I, I think they pull it out in six. And that's why I'm going with the series prop of six games. And the nice thing about that is while I do think the Avs will win, you know, you don't have to get that right to hit the bet. You just have to get the amount of games that are played correct. So lock it in. That is my DraftKings pick of the week. You can go over to the Colorado Avalanche uh, Tampa Bay Lightning series. Go to the series props. The second one listed is series total games. We are going to take six games at plus 225. Lock it in. We'll get into CSU in just a sec, but I actually think that's going to be a big key for CSU this year too is, you know, can James Moores get you two or three easy buckets a game, you know, where, where you just dump it down to him because he just, there were times last year to get the ball and he just panic, you know, it's, it's not that he doesn't have the athleticism. It's just, it's got to slow the game down. Um, before we talk about CSU though, just real quick, I want to talk about Wyoming who you have third in your preseason uh, projected order to finish power rankings. but they have the conference player of the year and Hunter Maldonado, obviously Graham EK coming backward the who you think is going to be the conference player of the year and Hunter Maldonado, Graham EK comes back, but they lose Jeffries, you know, the best three point shooter in the conference. What are your thoughts on Wyoming? Cause like last year, my biggest complaint with them or my biggest criticism was just that they weren't deep enough and that being so reliant on EK and, and Maldonado and like those six, seven guys they had, it was going to be hard to, to make any type of substantial run. And to me, it just kind of looked like their legs gave out on them last year. It wasn't like a lack of talent or anything like that. And I also feel like EK, you could kind of get in his head if he wasn't getting foul calls. You could kind of get taken out of the game a little bit. But just what are your general thoughts on Wyoming going into the year? Yeah, it's pretty similar to your assessment. I think bringing back both EK and Maldonado is, is massive. And there's no underestimating that those are, I think quite clearly the best two, or at least the best duo in this conference. And one of the best duos probably in much of college basketball. I do think what you said is accurate. I, those are two extremely high usage guys who for the most part, given their kind of size differential, they play pretty similar in a lot of, you know, 
backing down, a lot of post stuffs, a lot of maneuvering around the basket, which is hugely effective against less disciplined defenders and, and smaller defenders. And it's worked to their credit. And Linder has been able to establish that. But I think what made Wyoming so good last season is they were able to space things out because Drake Jeffries was such an exceptional three-point shooter and from pretty deep too. He had a fair share of 25, 26 foot three-pointers that he could hit at a pretty high rate. And so I think on paper, what I've seen from a lot of national resources is Wyoming brings back Ikan Maldonado and kind of the the expectation is they'll be just as good, if not better, given they also bring in three Pac-12 transfers. But I, I think that the Jeffries loss is pretty substantial because of that that spacing uh, within this team, because Jeffries was responsible for over a third of the team's three-pointers last season, and he was really the only one who hit them consistently. And when the when the offense is so post base or uh, just more of an old school type offense, given the skill sets of Maldonado and EK, I kind of question whether or not teams are going to be able to pack it in and, and cause turnovers. And Maldonado, if I'm not mistaken, turned it over 10 times against Indiana in their first four matchup. And it was mostly because the Hoosiers have great athleticism. They have great length and they're able to pack it in. And uh, if they're able to sh- shut down Jeffries then you kind of have your ticket a little bit. So uh, the additions that they have, uh, the USC guys, um, uh, Agbang Polo and Ethan Anderson, I think those are good additions and they contributed in the Pac-12. And Jake Kyman's interesting because he was a three-point threat his first couple of years at UCLA and his role kind of diminished and didn't shoot the ball particularly well last season. So maybe Kyman can be their new Drake Jeffries to like a little bit of a lesser extent, but I think this team needs spacing offensively. I think they'll still be pretty stout on the defensive side, but um, establishing a perimeter guy to kind of space things out outside of Ekin Maldonado, I think is really important. That's why I think ultimately I'm slotting them third for now. I'm going to share this article on my Twitter. So go check this out. Um, I mean, I could sit here and talk about every team with Eli because I just like talking hoops with him. But I do want to get your thoughts on CSU, obviously, because this is a CSU pod. And as obviously the, the loss of David Roddy is massive. And I do want to kind of get your sense on how drastically that kind of changes your opinion on them and, you know, their ceiling. But you talked about Drake Jeffries being such a massive loss for Wyoming. And I completely agree. He was a player that I loved to watch last year. And I, I do think he opened everything up for them. You saw when Maldonado... You know, he tried to force a lot of threes in that Indiana game. It, they just, they weren't falling. He doesn't have that ability. You know, I, I, I could see things getting a little wonky offensively. CSU brings in Josiah Strong, though, from Illinois State, a guy who statistically very similar, is uh, very similar to Drake Jeffries and the amount of threes he was able to hit these last couple of years, kind of a lethal guy. To me, I, I feel like he was a massive addition for this program. And I think underrated a little bit because... You know, CSU fans, they were really disappointed to see a couple of staples of the program and Kendall Moore and Adam Thistlewood leave. I get it, but Thistlewood couldn't move anymore. He wasn't going to play this upcoming season. Like, they they just didn't have minutes for him. And I feel like Strong kind of, you, you can do everything that Kendall was doing for you, but he's got three and a half inches of height. He's a more consistent shooter. I think this is a really sneaky, big-time big signing by CSU. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. And I think one of the things that we get so caught up on when a team loses a player of David Roddy's caliber is 
the idea that CSU then has to go replace David Roddy with a guy who's just like David Roddy. And you're not going to do it. I, and exactly. You're not going to just pick up a David Roddy on the recruiting trails. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You have to kind of alternate how the team operates, what the offensive attack looks like and how you play. I think those are the very best coaching staffs. And I firmly believe Nico Medved's staff is one of them is able to adapt and be able to change the trajectory based on the players that you have. And so I think the approach here is there's going to be more pressure on Isaiah Stevens offensively. And I do think that he's up for that task because he's a guy in himself who is a three level scorer and he's hit some huge shots despite playing alongside David Roddy and, and I mean, he's hit multiple game winners, if I'm not mistaken, he's had his big moments, but I still think you need a number two and number three on the team. And that's where Josiah Strong comes in. And you mentioned, uh, and I was watching uh, a little bit before we hopped on so I could, I could have some notes ready and stuff like that. But this he's, he's got to be like one of the longest six, three guys I've ever seen. Yeah. He, yeah. I he, thought he was like six, four and a half the first time it, I watched it, him. Yeah. At least, I mean, he, he's got a lot of length to him, but he is a soft touch. And I like the way that, uh, he navigates with the basketball and you, you mentioned he shoots at an extremely high rate shot around 40% on six, three point attempts per game. So that immediately addresses any sort of, you know, perimeter lacking there from, from Kendall Moore, Thistlewood, or even David Roddy to an extent. So I think having both Stevens and strong in the backcourt gives you two guys who can pretty much hit from all three levels and being able to do it um, on their own, uh, creation basically. And it's something that I've, I'm hitting a lot on this podcast, but I do think it's important uh, just given the style of the mountain West and needing a lot of these guys to be able to manufacture their own points. So I really like the addition of strong. And I think it's one that might go a little bit unheralded, just, you know, given coming over from the Missouri Valley and a lot of people will be talking about the loss of David Roddy, but um, and of course the addition of Patrick Cardi, and I'm sure you'll, you want to touch on that a little bit, but I, I think overall the theme is you don't have to replace one player with another player who's exactly like that player. I think you can kind of go in a different direction. I think, feel like that's what CSU ultimately did this off season. The thing I've been kind of the, what I've been comparing it to, and it's obviously not perfect, but it is just the money ball route. You know, they talk about if you've, if you've seen the movie, you know, he talks about, you're trying to replace Giambi and you can't. Yeah. So what do you do? You go out and you find a couple of guys that can kind of recreate some of the things that he did, you know, in the aggregate, you bring in a guy like Patrick Cartier who can score at all three levels. Similarly to David, he's going to help you stretch the floor the same way, but he's also, you know, going to try and help make up for that, you know, the rebounding and some of the things you lose with David and also Deshaun Thomas to an extent going out the, going out the door. Isaiah Stevens, he's going to create more shots. He's going to do more in the isolation, but you're not going to go out and you're not going to sign, you know, a, another Roddy. They, they were in the mix for Marcellus Erlington from San Diego. He would have been a similar style player. He's not David Roddy though. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the misses that I think will be kind of the underlying talk of the off season is not picking him up and, and San Diego. I think, uh, I think they kind of got screwed there. I think you're totally right. I think CSU, thought David was coming back. Yeah. And I think they were honest with Marcellus about that. And he decided to go back to San Diego, which you can't blame the guy. Um, but yes, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but David, 
and you can't blame him, but David choosing to go to the deadline really kind of hurts CSU in a recruiting standpoint because, I mean, we're just so late in the cycle now. Yeah, it's that's the that's the main challenge. And I think it makes a lot of sense because when you are in that, and we'll know here in a week or so, but when you are kind of in that late first, early second round, that's a pretty big financial difference between guaranteed contracts or two-way contracts or G League or overseas and all totally, that. Yeah. I'm not yeah. blaming David at all for the record. Yeah. I hope that didn't come off that way. But it, it's just one of those, it's you know, the reality of the situation. They he was a fringe prospect, or he is a fringe prospect. It's going to be kind of a tough process for him. It came down to the wire. CSU had to do right by their guy. You know, it's not like they can tell him like, hurry up, you know, we leave or stay, you know, like, you know, they got to do right by their guy, but it, uh, it didn't, it didn't pan out in in CSU's favor. Yeah, it, it didn't. But I think ultimately given a lot of the transfer losses that similar programs have had, or, um, inability to pick up particular players in the portal. There have been some teams that have been extremely unlucky in the portal. And um, obviously coming from a, not to take too far of a left field approach here, but coming from a Purdue family and following them closely, they're, they're slim pickets in the backcourt, given a lot of the guys that they missed out on the portal. So I think landing Josiah strong can ease a lot of the offensive production questions and also landing one of the best division two players in the entire country also helps out the front court a little bit, but, but you're right. When there is a player who comes down to a deadline and not a player who's on Kentucky or a Duke, but someone who's your pivotal number one guy on potential top 30, top 40 mid-major team. then yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but um, overall, I think the staff recovered pretty well and still have a, a pretty high talent level entering next season. Two questions for you off of that. Are we too late in the cycle for CSU to be able to land somebody substantial at this point? It, it would not shock me if they just went into the season with two scholarships. And I mean, you never know, maybe you bring somebody in in the fall and then kind of see how that shakes out. But, and then off of that, what, what are your thoughts on David Roddy as an NBA prospect? Well, I think for the first one, no, I don't think it's, it's too late. I think there are scholarships to burn and I, I, do know that there still is activity and, and possibility that CSU could have someone else on the way. Um, I don't think it would. They're still in the mix for the record, just yeah. for people out there. Like, I'm not saying they've thrown in the towel or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think when you have scholarships to work with, and there's still players who are entering the portal now, it's not quite as haywire as it was a couple months ago. But um, I, I do think that there still is activity to be had. And uh, I do think CSU is going to be in the mix for a couple guys still to round out the rotation. I think particularly in the front court, which is where the most of the questions now are in the post Roddy era. And there's probably quite a bit of uh, responsibility that now Patrick Cartier and even James Moore's, if he's coming off the bench, that they've a lot of responsibility now. Um, so that's probably where the main questions come from. But as far as Roddy as a prospect, he is, he is interesting uh, because it, it's tough to, project i think so many so many times the initial thought when it comes to projecting prospects is who are they like you know who do they play like what's their nba comp and for david roddy there just really isn't one uh based on his skill set based on his body type and he's and I kind of slimmed down a little bit noticed that in the summer league but uh i think that he has the makings of 
being a guy who can hang around the league for quite a while because he does offer a lot of versatility. Uh, his offensive game has grown substantially over the years that he was at CSU. And he's he might not be the flashiest, but he presents a lot of mismatches based on what he can do and just the overall strength that he has. So I, I like his upside as a pro guy, and I think whoever lands him, I, I would imagine it's probably late first round, if not top 35 or so. Um, you're immediately landing on a team that's probably going to be really good or already is really good. And so you can slot into maybe like a, a Golden State or uh, I've seen him his name attached to Golden State quite a bit. A franchise that knows quite a bit about development has taken some proven college guys in the past. So um, I'm excited to see what happens with his career trajectory because it's, it's, it's a fascinating one. He doesn't have an immediate NBA comp and even the ones that I've seen where it's just listed out. I just don't really know if I believe it. So None of them of- are perfect. Like I've no. seen people throw out Draymond Green and it's like, well, Draymond's got three <laughs> inches on him and he's, yeah. one of, he's like literally the best defender in NBA history or one of the best defenders. I've seen PJ Tucker, which I like better than Draymond, but David's more athletic than him and I think can bring a little bit more versatility. But I do think that's kind of a good one just in terms of like a guy that could stretch the floor a little bit for you, hit some corner threes, you know, guard multiple positions. The the big thing I think for David, and he's been pretty honest about it with the feedback that he's been given is just he's going to have to prove that he can guard one through five and not be a, a liability. And he's going to have to prove that he can create his own shot at times, but more than anything, I think it's just going to be like kind of carving out a role. It's, you know, we talked about before we uh, came on air, you know, Gene Clavel and, you know, in my opinion, hit the reason that GN didn't pan out in the NBA is not because he wasn't athletic enough, not because he wasn't a good enough shooter and he's not skilled enough. It's that he couldn't be a role player. And some guys, you know, they can't develop. I think David understands I'm not going to be Mountain West player of the year, David Roddy in the NBA. So I have to do what I can to stay on the floor. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. And I think a lot of that stay on the floor comes down to how well he can defend backcourt guys. And those are now, I think almost to his benefit, those are now taller point guards. A lot of guys who are six, three, six, four, six, five. So it is kind of a similar height there. And, but keeping up with the quickness of a lot of those lightning fast guards in the NBA and, and being able to, as you said, defend multiple positions is I don't, I don't really expect him to have trouble creating his own shot and getting baskets, but a lot of the opportunity that comes as far as playing time has proven that he can defend ones and twos. So I think if he is able to keep up with ones and twos on a defensive level, then he should be able to carve out early minutes with, I would guess a really good team based on kind of where his draft projections look like as a late first, early second round guy. It's going to be interesting. I saw ESPN had him going to Denver with a 30th pick yesterday. And I don't really think anybody knows what Denver's going to do because they have 21 and 30 and it's that I think they'll make some type of move, but I would obviously love that as a, as a Nuggets guy. Absolutely. Fun. <laughs> you want to be along there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm going to let you go here in a couple of minutes, but just real quick, I want to touch on Patrick Cartier, obviously just coming in. It's, it's going to be big shoes to fill. Like again, you know, I want people to temper their expectations. He's a very skilled player. One of the, one of, if not the best, you know, division two transfer in the country, but I mean, he's still coming up a level and it, it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of eat up, you know, some of the defensive, uh, Good Lord, getting tongue-tied here. Eat up some of the defensive assignments that Roddy was responsible for and, and you know, kind of 
be in that four that serves as the stretch five in other times. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm very intrigued by him, but I just want people to have like realistic expectations too. Yeah. I think that's, that's accurate. I'm, I'm curious what CSU does with him because as you said, I think he is maybe more of a four, if not a stretch five, because he does have quite a bit of perimeter shooting ability from what I've heard and what I've read. Um, he isn't necessarily like your back to the basket guy like James Moore's is. And I think that's kind of where you get a little bit more offensive versatility out of him. But one of the things that I'm thinking about, because I, I do think he probably offers more offensive upside than defensive upside at, at this level of college basketball, is just how he's able to defend against the Nathan Mensas of the world um, or, you know, Boise state's big men or like there's, there are a lot of talented big men in this conference still. And so I think the big question is how well he can defend against those guys. Um, And that will ultimately kind of depend on, or that will ultimately decide, I think what his role is with within CSU, whether it's him who comes off the bench or if he's able to, play alongside Moore's if, or if Morris comes off the bench. So I think, I think there are some, some options there. And I think this is a team that offers a lot of perimeter scoring and just overall offensive creativity. So I think that this is almost, if you want to play, uh, if you want to play them at the five and have the likes of strong out there and Stevens and, and Tanjay, who we haven't even mentioned yet, like that's a, that is a tremendous lineup that can offer a ton of perimeter shooting, but I do think ultimately he has to prove that he's able to defend against some of the bigger skilled forward and front court players in this conference. Last guy I want to ask you about is just Jalen Lake who flashed a little bit as a freshman, really athletic can get to the hoop, uh, has a gorgeous looking shot. Didn't necessarily shoot at a super efficient rate, but I think the potential is there for him to, to really be just an efficient big part of this offense. And I think, as much as it stinks that David left and it, it definitely does, at least in terms of how it just kind of changes, you know, how we view Z- CSU going into this season. I think in the long run, assuming that, you know, you keep Jalen Lake and he doesn't transfer out or anything after this year, I think the increased role that he's going to get offensively and defensively is going to be really big for CSU, you know, in the year after, especially, you know, when you don't have Isaiah Stevens anymore to kind of, lean on because I think Isaiah can kind of be an eraser at times if you know things aren't working just let him go ISO I just think it's going to be a big year for Jalen Lake yeah he he might be the most important player on this team next season I I don't mean that as as him being the number one or number two guys because he's he's clearly not um but I I do think that uh he's he's just going to be extremely pivotal as far as can he be an efficient number four guy on this team who can add maybe a three pointer every night or can give you a couple of baskets and also defend in multiple positions, which I think he's certainly capable of doing given his, his athleticism and his, his overall profile. So I think, as you said, kind of having that in between where he can have a solid year two and then show that once, once the likes of Stevens is gone, then you can kind of see him being a starter caliber player in the mountain West at, at a high level. It's going to be an interesting time for CSU. I, I think they're still in the mix for the tournament when it's all said and done, but I mean, ultimately they're going to, they're going to be really competitive in what's going to be a deep league. And, you know, they're putting together a pretty difficult non-conference schedule too. They've already got St. Mary's a trip to Boulder. They're going to play a neutral site game against USC real quick. What are your thoughts on that? USC. I, I know they're not supposed to be like the best in the PAC 12, but 
I mean, they had a pretty impressive recruiting class. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting with USC because they've had some really highly rated, particularly post players uh, go through that program. And I think USC is kind of one of those overall slept on teams at the high major level. And I do think Andy Enfield's building a pretty big team. But as you said, CSU's got a lot of opportunities on this non-conference schedule and that at least puts you in position for an, for an at-large bid ultimately. Well, Eli, I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. Make sure you go follow him. Check out Heat Check CBB. They do some of the best work around. And I'm not saying that because he's my friend. I'm saying it because it is the truth. Go subscribe. You will not regret it. Appreciate you, man. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade. This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs. Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves. We are just some drops of water, together make up seven seas. And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe. I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be. I got blood on my shirt, like I wear my heart on my sleeve. She said I look good in red, but that went straight to my head. So now she's rocking my tees, tucked into new Prada jeans. And we ain't spoken a month, but I just saw her last week. The lipstick stain still on my cheek, like we ain't talk enough. And we always seem to laugh, but never nod at us. So the future's looking grim, it's kinda ominous. And this song ain't about love, that'd be too obvious. See, this is more about lust and all of my misconceptions. And this is more about me and all of my self-deception. I'll tell myself a lie, 100 times don't need corrections But every night I pray to God, I hope I learn my lesson And the peaches out from Palisade And they sweet as mama's marmalade And this should sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums And my mama slapped that bass, and my sister sang these songs Dancing hand in hand, we were tripping to left feet Like a middle school slow dance, no one knew how to leave But I'm so thankful for these days, they put a smile on my face Flirt with me when you're bored, that's what I'm here for Talk to me softly, till I get a little more Attached to the fact that you reply so quickly Dash and retract only when you get sick of me Sit back reminiscing back to when I got them digits I swear I need a witness of somebody quick with pinches I was out there floating, all them feelings felt indigenous To places I don't visit, heart eyes when I'm grinning Heart eyes and them emojis, you said you won't be on me I said you won't be lonely, you can't count on me like a bank teller counter ain't never felt prouder never holding back don't got a front when i'm around her i want to listen more like maybe i should say less i'm not sure how to make an album this is just my best guess my best friends are producers send me beats i bump the playlist imagine all the hours ableton was stuck on repeat all for me to rap about some girls who didn't like me sp 404s and stupid bars all wrote on loose leaf i wait a lot on promises that sound like maybes my contact's still just numbers but in person call me baby like why i fall in love with every girl that wanna date me introspective but scatterbrained on the daily i'll make a tape with the homies and rap the same thing i know it's just rhymes but it sounds like everything and the peaches out from palisade and they sweet as mama's marmalade and this shit sound like summer days the windows down on harmony the family band sing harmonies my daddy play the drums and my mama slap that bass and my sister sing these songs dancing hand in hand we were tripping to left feet like a middle school slow dance no one knew how to leave but i'm still thankful for these days they put a smile on my face